good to see all of your lovely faces. Pentecost commemorates for us the giving of God's Holy Spirit to the church. Some of us may have grown up in traditions, uh, called by some maybe Pentecostal traditions, that emphasized and made explicit the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. I believe that Peter and Shannon are two such people. Uh, there also may those of us, uh, thus maybe more like me, that are less steeped in such traditions, or perhaps you might be exploring Christianity. If so, you might find this Holy Spirit talk odd. Um, older church language used the phrase Holy Ghost, and it might sound to you like Christians believe in ghosts, um, but perhaps like your first exposure to liturgy, um, I hope that the oddity can evoke curiosity rather than obfuscate. Um, so that's uh, my hope for us this morning. Uh, I needed the Holy Spirit this week. I was deciding between two morally neutral alternatives. When compared in terms of common wisdom and after uh, weighing each option's impact on God's calling and purpose, they both seem to have strong and offsetting merits. Lying awake one night, I had a strong sense of internal witness, emphasizing one direction and one decisive rationale related to my own sanctification. This experience comports well with the description of the Holy Spirit in our gospel reading today in John, the Holy Spirit mediating the presence and guidance of Father and Son. Our epistle reading, our New Testament reading, describes the Spirit in yet another way, and there are many more. But I am going to direct our attention specifically to the day of Pentecost itself. The events of that day, I believe, serve as a pattern and paradigm for the Holy Spirit in the life of the church, one that continues to challenge me, and I pray will challenge you as well. So if you will pray with me. Our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illuminate our hearts as I speak and as we all listen, not to the voice of a person, but we pray to the word uh, of you, of your spirit in your holy word. We ask that as we listen, we would be empowered, not just in speaking, but in listening, um, so that our hearts may be led into truth and from truth into life. Amen. The earlier fo early followers of Jesus were gathered in Jerusalem. Per Jesus' instructions, they were awaiting the Holy Spirit, but show no signs of knowing what that might look like. Do you get the sense, perhaps now, that God might have something for you personally, specifically, but don't know what that might look like? Church of the Cross, do you as a corporate body believe that God has something around the corner for you collectively that you're waiting for? I hope you do. But what will it look like? As we hear what happened next, would we, would you, dare to imagine it as pattern and paradigm? for what God might have for us. Jesus' disciples were gathered all together on the day of Pentecost, what their nation called the Feast of Booths, occurring seven weeks after Passover. Suddenly there came upon them noise and motion and visual manifestation that looked like flames settling on each one, and they broke into unintelligible speech. Unintelligible, that is except that pilgrim Jews from surrounding nations 
heard in that speech the praises of God in their native tongues. Other onlookers, however, interpreted the cacophony differently, using a pejorative about too much cheap wine, perhaps the equivalent of Bud Light. Uh, they assume that it's just a drunken rabble causing a scene. This prompts Peter to jump to their defense before the crowd. No, 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 he said. Let me explain. None of us would ever get drunk in the morning. <laughs> he, he proceeds to interpret these events with a quote from the prophet Joel. That quote remains, uh, that quote the promise is a future day that would mark a radical shift from the days preceding, a day of miracles and revelation of God's personal appearance and intervention as evidenced by a broad outpouring of his spirit. The recipients of God's spirit would be, according to Joel, old and young, male and female, sons and slaves, and the salvation longed for by many would be available to all. You know, there are days, there are new days, and there are new days. Every product and every politician promises a new day. It was probably thus in Peter's time as well. I imagine that most of us experience a varying degree of newness every so often. But then there are events that irrevocably mark a before and after. Our daughter is getting married this August. Her life and ours will see a new day. This short summer with Tracy and myself, having the pleasure of our three kids at home all together again, that will be one era. And after August 6th, it will be exchanged for a new one with some level of wistfulness for the old and excitement and joy for new possibilities. Peter audaciously claimed that God's promised future one described in their scriptures with the most hyperbolic of language that this future was now being witnessed before their very eyes. And of what did that future consist? It consisted most characteristically of God's spirit being available to all, regardless of gender, class, or youth. In their history, Israel had memories of God's effective action in the form of his spirit, coming miraculously and powerfully on human flesh. But this phenomenon was for a time, occasionally a long time, but typically for a sharply bounded, even fleeting time. It was almost always on men, on adult men, and adult men of political or religious significance. God's spirit was effective and powerful, but sparing, very sparing. What would an era look like when the Spirit would be given in abundance on all who call on the Lord? Did you know that if you are in Christ, it is because you are a permanent and unconditional recipient of the Holy Spirit? Another way to put it is if Moses, David, and Elijah from the Old Testament, were to appear right now in this very room, you would not be crowded around them like celebrities. Rather, they would be crowded around one of you, asking you, what's it like? 
What's it like to be an ordinary person and have God's spirit in you all the time in your ordinary weeks? What's it like that as a woman, you have God's spirit equally as any man? What's it like that as a kid, you have God's spirit every bit as much as the priest? What's it like that you have God's spirit, whether you have or don't have a job or money or esteem in anyone else's like? What's it like to sin and have God's spirit sadden within you, but not leave you? Tell me what it's like. What else would evoke wonder in these saints of old? Is the Spirit's presence and power today still being recognized across the distinctions and hierarchies of our day as well as in the days of Joel? Despite the obvious hint in the form of speaking in tongues, Peter and the apostles took many years to recognize that God's Spirit was to be poured out on the nations who originated those tongues and not just on Jewish speakers of them. Tribal hostilities across nation, race, and ethnicity continue as one of the most persistent markers of the former age. Their abrogation remains as well one of the most persuasive markers that God's new age has come. I believe Moses, David, and Elijah would wonder to see that. Though as a side note, I imagine they would ask where all the Jewish people went, and an ugly side of church history would have to be told. Would these saints of old recognize the Spirit once poured out on all, still experienced in the manner of their experience and that of Peter and the apostles. This is where I am most personally challenged. I am much more comfortable with the John 14 testimony of the Spirit than the Acts 2 version. Pentecost gives a pattern of the Holy Spirit's presence as ecstatic, expressive worship. I personally am much more comfortable with reflective worship, ordered worship, keenly and carefully crafted worship. That's why we like visiting here with you. (laughs) (laughs) Ecstasy makes me uncomfortable. Ecstasy implies being out of the normal range of physical and mental control, hence being misconstrued as drunkenness. Although ecstasy is not always characteristic of the Spirit, people in communities filled with the Spirit are and always have been characterized by being pushed, often involuntarily, out of their normal range of experience and control and comfort. Moreover, though it is not always ecstatic, in Acts, the presence of the Spirit is always uh, characteristic, uh, characterized by verbal expression. Again, I live easily inside myself, quietly, and of course the Spirit is there. But the paradigm for a Spirit-filled church is one that is outwardly expressive. Note that the disciples at the beginning of this narrative seem to be sitting inside of a building, but somehow with no explanation at the end of of the, the, the account, they are outside speaking publicly in a crowd. Having heard that the Spirit had been poured out on all here at Church of the Cross, 
Would Moses, David, and Elijah find us, like the church of Acts 2, being caught up, at times involuntarily, past the boundaries of our normal comfort, shamelessly expressing the wonders of God, at times out of control, perhaps? Would this building that God has recently most generously provided to us be more than just a place where people can come to worship? Would it also be a building out of which worship pours outward, loudly, sometimes messily, even disruptively? What would such worship look like? May it be that the words of our liturgy and confessions and singing, could it be that filled with the Spirit, they might become words? Um, I know that you've had this experience where words from Sunday will sometimes pop up to you afterwards and come through, through, the, through the week, whether that be from the liturgy or a confession or from a song. Could it be that a, a Spirit-filled church would understand those words as ones that are to be delivered to someone else? That those words that are impressed on you as good news are intended to be good news for someone that you meet. As we have this joyous celebration of baptism in just a moment, um, do we recognize that in Scripture, the, the, uh, the image of water soaking and washing is, is, uh, is uh, associated in the closest possible way with the reception of the Holy Spirit? As we, as we watch baptism, do we, do we discern in that not just our own baptism, not just our own confession of faith, but our own reception of the Holy Spirit? Does what um, often can resemble a birthday party issue forth in coming weeks as a block party? Would that be the significance of baptism? And then afterwards, as we receive the Holy Eucharist, would even that be filled with the Holy Spirit in a way that it issues forth in witness? Do you know that when you come forward and receive the body and blood of Christ, the celebrant or the, uh, the, will tell us that this is Jesus and Jesus and his death are for you. Would you, as you come forward, um, receive Christ? And as you turn backward toward your seat, filled with the Holy Spirit, be transformed yourself into the celebrant of sorts so that you would bear Christ out of these walls in your ordinary weeks saying to all around you, here is Jesus Christ and his death. They are for you. Church of the cross, today is the day of Pentecost. Today is the day of the Spirit. You pray with me. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence at this very moment not just in my words, but in the words that you can and will speak, even in the silence to our hearts right now. Holy Spirit, may we continue to discern your voice in the silence and in the, um, in the actions and in the words to follow. Holy Spirit, may you carry us along through those into our coming weeks, would you speak not just to us, but through us? We receive, some of us joyfully and some of us apprehensively, the out-of-controlness that you offer that is characteristic of life with you. 
May your blessing come on the individuals in this room and in the body, the corporate expression of your body that is in this room. Would this community be characterized by being filled with your Holy Spirit, both for our encouragement and our edification, but also for the good of the world. Amen.